With increased premiums and personal responsibility amounts, today more than ever, it's important for consumers to find the right care at the right time at the right place. How can they do that? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of the Shift Shapers podcast is brought to you by Captivated Health, a captive insurance arrangement designed specifically for educational institutions. If you have clients in that vertical, you know the healthcare deck has been stacked against them. Today, Captivated Health offers the stability, control, and savings they've been waiting for. For more information, go to www.captivatedhealth.com or click on the company logo on the Shift Shapers website. On this episode of Shift Shapers, we're talking with Sally Ann Polson. Sally Ann is president at MedWatch Medical Management. And we're going to be talking about some terms that you've heard, maybe don't quite understand exactly where each one of them fits, what the continuum was. We're going to talk about population health management. We're going to talk about case management. We're going to sort them all out. Sally Ann is going to help us do all of that. And we're going to talk about how they can help both plan sponsors and employees. So with that, welcome, Sally Ann. Well, thank you for having me. It's a it's a pleasure. We thank you for sharing some time with us. Now, if we go back to the dark ages, we started out at what we used to cutely call case management. What is case management and why was that the entry point? Well, case management and utilization management were the entry points when insurance really back in the 80s. And in the 80s, it was, okay, are we getting the right care in the right place at the right time? And does this back surgery really need to occur? For instance, back in those days, one out of every 10 patients that presented with a back problem was not operated on, meaning that nine out of 10 were operated on. In this day and age, with the evolution of care and so many things that have gone on, including utilization management and the principles that were that evolved and, and were in place to look at, is this an appropriate surgery or not, or can we have more conservative care occur? Now, only one out of every 10 people that present are operated on. That's a much better way to have better outcomes in the end. You do not want to go under the knife if you don't have to. Back in the 90s when I was running a TPA, all of this case management stuff was rearview mirror stuff. It was kind of looking at things that had already happened and trying to manage them. When did we make that shift to being able to start looking out the the windshield rather than the rearview mirror, if you will? Interestingly enough, uh, many people tried to say no to utilization management in the beginning. And yet those that were using a more 
proactive approach of saying you must call in 72 hours ahead of time. We're actually seeing better outcomes and return on investments as well as a whole variety of other things surfacing, being able to catch cancers early to make sure that the right treatments were going in place, that non-FDA approved drugs were not being used on, on and on and on. And so it became very evident that proactive care before the surgery, before the cutting, before any of these things occur was the better approach. There still are entities out there that are very large and actually work with many, many of our population that are not doing a proactive approach and are still doing a retroactive approach. But if one really wants to get in and manage the care so that we have better outcomes, it's much better to do it in a proactive stance. If, if there's been slow take-up, if we still have some folks who are kind of lagging behind, may, I wonder if it isn't because employees saw this as a negative. They, they saw it as nothing more than trying to keep them from being utilizers. And, and so the question is, how do we overcome that? Is it, is it simply an education process? Have we not spoken to the right constituencies the right way? What do you do in your practice to get people over that hump? Well, I think that's a very, very good point. Everything that we have going on in healthcare now needs to be employee-facing, member-facing, because with the members not understanding and still thinking that a hysterectomy only costs $250 or whatever their deductible is, one is not going to change the outcome of healthcare. We're treating the sick. We're not necessarily treating the healthy to stay healthy. And we definitely need to be employee-facing so that they know that not always are the decisions being made by physicians in the best interest of the patient. We do look at at physicians as God, and that is a difficulty that one always has to overcome. You typically go into a doctor's appointment and you have 19 seconds to speak with your physician, whether you have questions or not. We always tell people, write your questions down. Let your doctor know you will be asking questions and you want to have more insight into what that they are proposing. Second surgical opinions used to exist. They pretty much have gone away if proper utilization management is being done on patients and allowing people to look, have they met the right criteria? Have they had conservative treatment ahead of time? I have seen hysterectomies being asked for on women that are under the age of 30. Do they really need a hysterectomy, that radical a procedure? And I have later had those same women call us back and say, thank you, I have now had a child which I never would have been able to have if that hysterectomy occurred. So we want to make sure that individuals that are having surgeries or being put into the hospital are going there for the right reasons. And one doesn't want to stay in the hospital either. Non-sacomial infections that occur with one out of every 11 individuals that go into the hospital. And that's an infection that had nothing to do with the reason that you went into the hospital in the first place. So you don't want to be there. You don't want to be cut on if you don't have to be. And it's so important for patient care. Well, you, you mentioned that some patients saw the cost of the procedure as their deductible or their copay or whatever. And, and as an industry, we thought that high deductible health plans would drive consumerism. And that still hasn't gotten folks there. Is, is there a different educational pathway that needs to be taken in addition to the, to the higher deductible so that people 
start thinking about the the cost of a procedure as the actual cost, not just what their deductible or copay is? Absolutely. When people start realizing that their healthcare, what they choose to do, both in their everyday living, as well as when they need a procedure or something done, that they have choices. They can look at quality of care. We are putting bundles in place with so many of our our clients. So instead of having a back surgery that costs $77,000, that back surgery only ends up costing $15,000. There are many, many approaches that can be taken now to lower the healthcare cost and lower that trend. When we have patients seeing only two to three percent raises in their oh, it, that they take home in their pocket, yet their healthcare expense are going up at ten to fifteen percent, they never end up really getting a raise, and that has caused such a stagnation in in our population now. Because, but if they actually start becoming part of the healthcare solution by being healthier, getting their biometrics done, knowing that they're a pre-diabetic or that they're even a diabetic or that they have liver disease or that they have something going on that they actually may be able to take care of and change the overall outcome of their life. That's so crucial. And when we get people thinking that way, we do see the trend lowering. So there's a, a huge interest in in self-insured or partially self-insured, if you prefer that nomenclature plans, which which means that employers, largely the plan sponsors, get to write the plan documents the way they want. In, in your practice, have you found relative to employees making smarter choices, which is a better approach, carrot stick or orange stick? Oh, very interesting question. First of all, plan document language is crucial for so many reasons, be it that you have a reference-based pricing model in place or that you are making sure that in non-emergent cases, a PPO of senses with the air ambulance and transport, which are out of control costs, are in place. That plan language really dictates a lot for the both the payer as as well as the entity receiving the payment. So that's crucial. Number two, as far as carrot and stick are concerned, unfortunately, the studies do show that the stick is much more influential than the carrot. People at one point in time said, we're going to put a wellness program in place and we're going to give out t-shirts. Well, the individual that really needs that wellness program is not necessarily going to change their behavior and become involved in any type of disease management and or wellness type activities if it's only a t-shirt involved. At the same time, if there's a stick involved where your premiums are going to go up, you have the choice to participate or not. If you decide not to, then your premiums will increase by X number of hundreds of dollars, that definitely does drive behavior. We have study after study that shows that. But we also have been able to drive behavior by going into employer populations and doing biometric and health risk appraisal type programs that everyone participates in to see what is your health. You must know your numbers. If you don't know what your cholesterol levels are and your blood pressure levels, your blood sugar levels, all of those things, you will have bad outcomes in the end. Blood drives everything. So I cannot encourage employers enough to 
at least level set your game field. What's going on out there? Are we an A-plus company with great health or are we a D company that really needs to do things to improve our health? And I, as a president of a company, need to take control and say, hey, we're all going to participate and we're all going to get healthier because healthier people are going to drive better outcomes for your overall company in general, no less the cost of your health care. And now, a word from our sponsor. Captivated Health is a single-source solution for your clients and prospects who are in the education vertical. The founders of Captivated Health have nearly 20 years' experience working with educational institutions, and over that time, they've developed a keen understanding of the unique problems these clients experience. Frustrated by a lack of control, the unpredictability of ever-increasing health care costs, and the pressures and regulations of the Affordable Care Act, these groups have been adrift in the fully insured commercial marketplace until now. Captivated Health has built a program that solves those problems, and it does so with virtually no disruption to faculty and staff while saving clients millions of dollars. We wanted you to be among the first to know that Captivated Health is building a national distribution partner network so you can bring this cutting-edge solution to the educational clients you advise. To learn more about the Captivated Health solution, go to their website at www.captivatedhealth.com or click on their logo on the Shift Shapers website. And now, back to our interview. So what we're talking about is kind of getting down to a more individual level. Is that what folks mean when they start today? They're starting, there's a lot of talk about population health management, or is that still a broader lens? Population health management means many things to many entities. We are what I would call a comprehensive approach to population health management, where we're doing everything from the biometrics, and let's see what your health status is to begin with, all the way to be able to offer many different programs to affect that health care outcome when it's occurring and or during Let's take a patient just was out in the West. I'm not going to specifically say the state, but I was out West with a client and I was going over with them some of their outcomes of what they had had and some of their success stories. And there was one patient who we found had a thousand twenty-four in his diabetic reading in his blood glucose. That is so dangerously high that that individual was at risk of dying even. After bringing that patient into our program where we monitor, their, I literally can have a patient check their blood levels and within 20 seconds, our nurses know what the results are. And when they're so dangerously high, we take action or dangerously low. But even when we see patterns of anything being high or low, there's action taken in order to change the person's life. This same patient I was talking about now sits at 110. So he's 10 times lower in his blood sugar levels. His uh, hemoglobin A1Cs have gone down drastically. He's completely changed his life. He feels like a different human being. He was on 18 medications to start with. He's now down to two medications. There is tremendous work and help that can, can take place with these patients with chronic diseases. So population health can span and go all the way across to managing the chronic diseases, all the way to the catastrophic diseases. We have a huge problem in our country right now too, as everyone knows, with psych and substance abuse and opiate addictions. 
and it's quite fascinating. That has become, that has increased tenfold as far as the number of cases we see since ACA went into play. And the reason is, is that 85% of those patients are falling under the age of 26. I don't know where those patients went before ACA, after they had gotten out of school or college, but we definitely had a huge impact in the healthcare. So we, you also need to be putting in programs that are able to look at what can we do for pain? How, how do we change how people are being cared for when they're coming in the hospital and seeking drugs, so to speak? Lumbago is something that one needs to look at where people are going in for just back pain and they're being discharged for just back pain. There's all sorts of initiatives that can be put in place to address our psychiatric and substance abuse problems. And yet earlier, when we were talking off air, you mentioned something that was just staggering. And I wonder how you square that with with trying to improve outcomes person by person with biometric screening. You said that over 50% of diabetics don't actually know that they're diabetic. How does one manage that as a population? How do you How do you get after that so that you can start changing that? Excellent question. Most people, as I said, do not know what their blood levels are. You'd be shocked to know that 50%, uh, well over 50% of people do not have a primary care physician and do not seek regular health care. In our biometric screenings, oftentimes we go in and we find that people haven't seen a doctor in five to 10 years. So how would they know that they're diabetic if that's the case? You have it with cholesterol. 47% of people with high cholesterol levels have no idea. 35% of people with high blood pressure have no idea. 50% of diabetics. 70% of people walking around with liver disease have no idea that they have these disease states. But if, if one was to be able to get in there and take action, we could prevent so much of our cost. 70% of disease is preventable, yet 70% of the events that occur with a chronically ill patient are also preventable. For instance, if one is chronically ill with diabetes, we can get it under control as opposed to using the emergency room two times a month, not an unusual aspect to see in healthcare claims. So how can we help change the lifestyle of the at-risk members, number one? And number two, how can we get control over the pre-diabetic and those people that are on the verge of becoming chronically ill? So those are all areas that we want to transform the member from being a passive recipient to an active participant in their health care. I wonder, I mean, back when I worked for Humana, and they were doing great stuff in their innovation center. And one of the initiatives that they were thinking about a lot at the time was predictive modeling. Because a lot of what we've talked about so far this morning is dealing with people who, whether they're aware of it or not, already have some underlying disease state. I wonder what your opinion is on predictive modeling and whether that might be the future of being able to go from looking in the rearview mirror to looking out the windshield to actually doing a map before you even get in the car. Mm-hmm. Well, you can do predictive modeling in many different ways. There are very sophisticated approaches to predictive modeling I've seen over the years. When you actually do a biometric test, you actually see exactly what's going on with the patient then. Predictive modeling does look out the back rear mirror a bit, meaning that you're taking old claims and culling through them and trying to predict 
what patient is going to end up needing heart surgery, needing a variety of different things. We can find that with culling of the data in what we call our claims analytic tools. You can cull through the data. You can see the people that are using the emergency room are going to a lot about patient visits. But if you have the biometric testing, you know exactly who the people are that need to be approached and worked with. Right, but the biometric testing still requires that that some patient be sitting across the table from somebody who's doing a blood draw. You mentioned earlier that there are still employers who who aren't availing themselves of even the most rudimentary tools in what you and other folks who who are doing the kind of work that you do that's so important do. So I wonder if if that is a way to kind of overcome those populations where an employer says, I'm not having my people sit down with somebody to do a blood draw. That's I just don't see the value in it. Right, right. Well, these days, blood draws have come a long way. Is the best way to say it. And and by the way, just back to the predictive modeling question very quickly, one of the things, those people that don't go to the doctor, as I said, five and 10 years, yet they're sitting with that diabetes or hypertension or whatever that is starting to clog the arteries. It's all about your blood flow. It's all about that blood going through those arteries, be it the hypertension that's collapsing your walls, be it the sugar that's that's clogging or the cholesterol that's clogging those walls. It's all about that that we need to get under control. With a biometric test nowadays, we can do home kits where literally we can find 27 different results through the home kits now that we can send out. We've had tremendous success. We worked with LabCorp to develop this a number of years ago, and we have about 50% of our clients that, that will do both a biometric testing and the home kit for those people that are in outlying areas or couldn't make it to work that day. And now we have some clients who actually are doing 100% home kits and we're getting tremendous response back. So there are different ways that we can do it. The home kit requires you pricking your finger, you put it on a little dot, and there are about 10 different dots that one puts it on, stick it in the mail and mail it out. Do employers who are using that kind of technology incentivize employees to do that? Yes, oftentimes they do. Again, a carrot and stick approach on that. If you do the home test, you will not see an increase in your premium or the like. So yes, there's typically are incentives to do that. We've got about a minute left and I, I, I like to ask our guests, what do you see as the future near-term, long-term for the kind of work that you're doing, which I think is so critical in helping try to drive down costs and get appropriate utilization? The future lies in a whole variety of different aspects. I think that if any entity was out there and needed to just say, what are three things that I could do to change my healthcare cost? I would tell them, number one, get control over your diabetics without question. Your diabetic costs are are typically 10 times higher than a patient without diabetes. So get it under control before diabetes even happens, but for those that are diabetic, let's get them into a normal lifestyle range. Number two, making sure that the employees themselves become part of the solution, that everyone understands that we can't continue the way we are with the healthcare costs spiraling out of control and only giving healthcare to the sick. Let's start giving our healthcare and looking at it as healthy living and changing that whole dynamic. Number three, we have to look at the cost of healthcare overall and what's driving that cost. High cost specialty drugs are 
killing the system right now. How can we get that under control? The PPO of the past is no longer meeting the needs of what needs to occur in healthcare and programs like reference-based pricing and bundled payments are huge to get that person that no matter what they do, they're back still has has gotten to a point where it needs surgery. Do you have the surgery for 77000 or do you have it for 15000 in a bundled payment? That we, we make sure that people are no longer really gouging the system as they are in the healthcare cost. That's so huge. And I think the in the next five years, we're going to see PPOs go away, more narrow networks occur, bundled payments occur, and other alternatives for specialty drugs. But let's not get there in the first place and need it. Let's take uh, the approach of getting everyone involved in healthcare and making sure that the 70% of disease that is caused by the chronically ill doesn't occur in the first place. But if it does occur, that those those 70% get control over that disease state and become part of the solution. Sally Ann Polson, president of MedWatch Medical Management. Sally Ann, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with the Shift Shapers audience. Thank you, David. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Strategic Vision Publishing and David Saltzman. This podcast may not be reproduced in any form, in whole or in part, without the express written permission of the producers. All rights reserved. Thank you.